0: Welcome to the
1: weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope
0: you are impacted by this week's teaching. Some say the church's future is bleak, battered and beat, wounded and weak, half asleep at night she creeps. Purity she no longer keeps. With loose lips, all kind of dribble she leaks and sinks ships. Hmm. But hear the cry. The bride of Jesus Christ is still alive. The apple of his eye he'll never let die. Though Satan tries bringing false doctrine from within and persecution to scorch our skin from without. We're still stout we still bling, lost souls, we still win. The Lion of Judah conquering, like our brethren, blazed in the heat at Nero's feet like meat. They were flossed from between lion's teeth, yet stood strong, singing their song. And in the same valiant mold of victory, we're pressing on, beating our chests like King Kong. We're screaming, bring it on. By grace, we're running this race like a stallion. Not for gold or platinum, nor for no medallion, but only so we'll look in God's face and hear him say well done. From first millennium till kingdom come, the church is marching on. In case you didn't know, there's a war going on outside. Too many Christians, far too many Christians, are living in a war zone with a vacation mentality. DEFCON 1, our third week into the series where we are being urged to defend and contend to the end. Second Timothy is a war treatise. And we see that the urge to war, in the truest sense, is found throughout Scripture. Paul said in Philippians that he was in prison for the defense of the gospel. Now some might say, well, why does the gospel need defending? And in a sense, that's true. But the first thing we have to appreciate is that The gospel is the place of prominence. God is the most high. God is sovereign ruler over all. And so, as far as God's concerned, everything is his and he's in the place of prominence. But, just like anyone seated in a place of position, they face contenders who try and knock them off position, try and take their spot. And we recognize that the devil is a defeated foe, but he's also the father of lies and he's even lied to himself thinking that he can overcome God and the people of God. But that is the height of delusion when we believe our own lies. In 1 Peter 3.15 Peter says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, the, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is a scripture that is given to us all as believers. This isn't just for leaders and pastors. Be ready to make a defense. And we see that our weapons are not aggression, but they're love and truth. And yet we are called to defend and contend. In Jude verse three, "Beloved, although I was very eager. To write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Some translations say, contend earnestly for the faith. You see, even from its inception, (laughs) I mean even before the birth of the church, before Jesus had departed, the truth of God and the true people of God have been under attack. And so, we're called to defend and contend to the end. Today, as we prepare to look at chapter 2, we're going to consider the aspect of that call that is to endure, entrust, and be greatly encouraged. To endure, entrust, and be greatly encouraged. So if you'd turn your Bibles with me to Second Timothy chapter 2. We'll look at the text together, and then I'll take us before the Lord in prayer.
1: Second Second Timothy 2. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself.
0: Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that your word is the special means by which you've revealed yourself to us and through which, Lord, we can know you, we can know your heart, we can know your plans, your purposes, your will, that, Lord, we can even know who we are truly and genuinely and that, Lord, we might draw near to you. We appreciate, Lord, that you have caused us to have a great salvation in Christ Jesus and a new identity. And that new identity has many facets and many aspects to it. And one of those aspects is that we are an army. And we esteem you the most high eligible He who is the God of war, you are Jehovah Nissi, our banner. And we thank you that through Christ Jesus, however hard, however tough the battle might be, we know that we have the victory for Jesus is risen. He is alive, having conquered sin, having conquered Satan, having conquered death. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Endure, entrust, and be greatly encouraged. Now, I must say that I thank the Lord for the privilege of being a part of the ministry team here at Calvary Chapel, South London. I've said to people um, often when they've asked me, you know, which preachers do you like to listen to? I've said without any kind of hesitation, one of my favorite preachers to listen to is Pastor Robert. And um, I've been absolutely blessed, stirred, edified, and encouraged over the last two weeks as he has introduced and unpacked the beginning of this letter from Paul, the apostle, to his trainee, his protege, and the junior pastor who is Timothy. We see from the text that we're called to endure. We see that in chapter 1, Timothy in verse 8 was challenged. He was challenged by Paul. Do not be ashamed of me or the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of us have felt that challenge at various times, in various ways. A lot of us have wanted to avoid the shame or the suffering that is that, that accompanies being identified with Jesus Christ. And there were those such as Vigelis and Homogenous who... They said, you know what, nah, we're, not, we're out of here. And yet we see at the end of chapter one, the faithful and the loyal Onesiphorus. I don't know why the Lord gives us these kind of names with man like me with bad diction. Onesiphorus. And Onesiphorus was faithful. Onesiphorus sought Paul out even at the risk of his own life. And so as we arrive at chapter 2 here we see Paul call on Timothy he says you then now we appreciate that it links back to what has already been stated. He says, you then, in the light of these individuals, and in the light of them and their decisions, what about you then? What about you, Timothy? What are you to do? You see, the reality is that all of us are influenced by others. And all of us are influenced by the decisions of others. And Timothy, at that point in time, has a choice to make in relation to who he's going to allow himself to be influenced by. Because we already know that he had the temptation to bail out. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said in verse 8, Don't you be ashamed. Timothy already had the the temptation to duck out. And the reality is that the influence of Fagellus and Hermogenes could have been such that he was like, hmm, you know what? That looks like a good idea. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And some of you are under that situation where you feel the influence of certain people who have departed, they've disappeared. Maybe they've left with a grumble and a murmur. Maybe they've left with um, aspirations of bigger things. Them guys at South London, they're not serious. They got no power. They don't know the scriptures. They're not walking in the might. And power of the Holy Spirit. They're not walking in revelation knowledge. Maybe there's some area that they feel we're not emphasizing enough. And they've disappeared. And you know what? They've made no secret of it. And we hear the talk and we're kind of like, hmm, maybe that should be me. Disappearing also. Maybe that should be me. Mm, Maybe this isn't the right place for me. Maybe the the gospel as it's presented there isn't really the one. Maybe there's more to it than that. And this was the kind of thing that was happening here in 2 Timothy. We see that. Hymenis and Phagellus were spreading. Sorry, homogenous, see these names, man, they're gonna mess me up today. And for jealous, they had turned away and they were spreading propaganda. And so as we face those challenges, there's always the counter challenge. You see, on this, on this, you know the guy, yeah? Oh, yeah. Now, he was a loyal brother. You don't read of, oh, having no big ministry. You don't read of, oh, doing no great works. You don't read of his name all over Scripture, even in the way that you see Timothy's, let alone Paul's. But he stood as a contrasting example of what faithfulness looks like. He stood as a contrasting example of what loyalty looks like. And he was loyal to Paul like Paul was loyal to Jesus. And he was following in that pattern. And we see history bear the fact that Onesiphorus went down in the book of Remembrance as one who was faithful. We don't see that when it comes to for jealous and homogenies. And very often we've seen it over the years, you know what? People have gone seeking something else, something better, something greater, something more exciting, something deeper, something more powerful. And unfortunately, it's been the undoing of them. Now, not everybody who has left has left with wrong motive and for wrong reason. And there have been a number of people who we have been delighted to see God work in their life and move them on to greener pastures, as it were, with regards to his call on their life. Calvary Chapel South London isn't the only church. I'm not trying to promote that. There are some of you who are here today, and it's not even going to be for you. And we're happy with that because if you are the Lord's, you are His. You're not ours. Nobody here belongs to us. We are all the Lord's sheep. And so sometimes there are those genuine occasions when you're moving on in your journey and your walk with the Lord. But I would encourage you, don't be dazzled, don't be razzled, don't be deceived or deluded by this, these, these promises of, of, of greater things and deeper things. And, you know, the reality is there's no perfect church. <laughs> and if there were, as they say, the moment you turn up, it's mashup. And so let us endeavor to be faithful and loyal to the Lord wherever we are. Amen? You know, over the years, people have looked at us and said, we don't amount to really much. We don't really kind of. We're not that impressive. But one thing that has been consistent is our consistency. And the fact that God, by his grace, has kept us kept us over the years, 20 years as, as friends and brothers in the faith, me, Pastor Rob and Pastor P, over 10 years in ministry, well over 10 years, I mean, we, we were doing a Bible study three or four years before we planted Calvary Chapel, South London. And we're not trying to say that that's because we're anything special. Far from it. We're just trying to be faithful. We're just trying to be loyal. We're just trying to be true to the text. And by God's grace, he has kept us. And so if there is anything in our example, just like the example of Onesiphorus, pursue faithfulness, pursue loyalty. Amen? Amen? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, why would Timothy have needed to be strengthened? Why would we need to be strengthened? The reality is that life is a war and war can be brutal. And however much we think we've got it together, we need strength. Even if it's just dealing with our own truckload of sin that we wrestle with, we need the strength of God in order to mortify our sin and put it to death. Amen? I don't know if there's anyone here who knows about them struggles. You know about them struggles? Them daily struggles. It's not even like when you go shopping once a month and you know you're you're in the supermarket and you gotta deal with all of the some of you, even you you, you catch little wires and you you get the the online delivery. But you still gotta unpack it when it comes in, right? Them big monthly shops, bit of a struggle. Now, this is a daily struggle dealing with ourselves. We need grace. We need strength. Sometimes it's dealing with not just our own sin, but it's being sinned against. People sin against us. And we have to wrestle with that. Because we want to go postal. <laughs> We're in the car and we want to take the, 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 the steering lock out for somebody. And we've got to deal with the fact that people sin against us. And sometimes... There's no immediate justice. Some of us are dealing with sins that people have sinned against us from our past and we're still wrestling with that. We need strength. We need strength. On a basic level, there's that constant struggle, that constant struggle with Wanting to avoid suffering for the gospel's sake. And Pastor Rob smashed it last week. Praying that we might suffer well. Teaching that we might suffer well. Praise be to God. But some of us are still struggling trying to find that crossless Christianity. Or furthermore, the old rugged one is a bit... It's rough. I would love... A, 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 a renewed version. You know, the kind of cross that has shiny lacquer and it's lightweight. You remember Bolsawood when you was at school? And you, you don't remember Bolsa Some of you don't know about Bolsa Who knows about Bolsawood? You know about Bolsa You know about Bolsa Linda? Yeah. That was back in the days when you used to get free school um, milk. And balsa wood is a wood that is very light. And it was almost, something like, you could cut with a dinner knife. It was just quite flimsy, but you could do stuff with it. Some of us want a balsa wood cross that's veneered, French polished, so it's smooth. No, no, No splinters, nothing rugged about it. We would like some handle grips for when we have to carry it. Furthermore, we'd even like to put wheels on the bottom But as the songwriter said, we are to cling to the old, rugged, rotten, dirty, stinking, bloody cross. That's the cross that we cling to. That's the cross that we bear. And we need strength. And so we see, Paul makes it clear where our source of strength is. Because some of us, we like to try and look elsewhere for our strength. Am I lying? Some of us try, you know, let me see what Oprah's saying. Because I need some of that, some of that Oprah wisdom, that Dr. Phil wisdom to help, you know, they, they seem to know, like, she's successful. She's got to be one of the richest women in the world. She's got to know what she's talking about. Some of us try and find it in our careers, you know what, the answer to my rugged issues when dealing with this cross, if I just had more money, or if I had more status and more respect, you know what? That would soon sandpaper this cross and make things a bit better and easier for me. But there's only one place that our strength is found. And that strength is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word grace, we're familiar, many of us will be, that it means unmerited favor. So it is is favor, um, us being treated favorably, even though we've done nothing to deserve being treated favorably. Furthermore, we deserve not to be treated favorably. And yet, we're given favor. We're treated favorably. And that favor is obtained by Christ. He obtained. It wasn't because God was like, child, you know what? I know you've had a hard life. I'm going to give you a squeeze. It's okay. Don't worry about. it. It wasn't because God was like, you know what? I see that you've got such great potential. If I just let you have some space and I just give you a bit of favor, you'll be cool. I know that you'll, you'll get through. None of those reasons are reasons as to why God don't think we're good looking like that. He has adorned us with beauty in Christ Jesus. But it's not because he's particularly impressed with our looks, even our even our character. A a charming personality. God ain't impressed with none of that. None of that causes him to favor us. Our favor was obtained by Christ. Not us. And it is only found in Christ. Nowhere else. And so we've received favor. But the word... Grace means more than just unmerited favor. It means more than unmerited favor because grace is a power that imparts something to us. It, is, it does something in us. It doesn't just make us feel good. It doesn't just cause us mentally to know, okay, cool, me and God are on a level. where we're, we're good now. I know that he's not going to crush me like I deserve. It does more than that. The other sense of the meaning is divine enablement. Divine enablement. The the giving of ability that comes from God. Ability that comes from God given to us. Now that's a side of grace that we don't often hear talked about. But it is equally true of what Paul is talking about to Timothy here. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul recognizes and is helping Timothy to recognize and remember. Look, you know what? Things are tough. Things are a struggle. Life is a war and war can be brutal. But you know what? You're able to endure by grace. And it's interesting because the two aspects of grace are completely related to one another. And I'm not even going to be able to put into words, it's just going to be something that the Lord just helps you to understand by a revelation of his spirit in your heart. But when when we understand that God has favoured us, it strengthens us. And the more we understand God's favour toward us, which is not based on anything to do with us apart from Christ obtained it for us, the greater strength that is to us. It's like fuel. It's like rocket fuel in the tank. Now, the only example I can give you, right, to try and um, c- kind of put it into context a little bit, is like, so, all right, I'm married, right? Duh. And... I know right, I've been married 22 years and this is absolutely consistently true throughout my years, almost 22, I don't wanna lie, August makes 22 years. Now, I know right, when my wife is backing me, I feel like I can take the world. When I know that Judith's on my side, when I know that we're riding shotgun, Bonnie and Clyde, let's do this. Let's go! I feel like I can do anything, go anywhere, meet anyone, say anything, don't matter, because wife has got my back. She's got my face, she's favoring me. But trust me, you know it's a problem. <laughs> if she's not. Because when she ain't, it don't matter who's nice to me. It don't matter who's smiling and skin and teeth with me. It don't matter who's like, encouraging me and whatever. Deep in my heart, it's not right. I need to work this out with wifey because I can go anywhere in the world, but she matters the most. You get what I'm saying? Certain certain you married ones, you'll understand that. And that's the only way I can begin to express the favor of God in terms of its, its empowerment. When we understand God's grace toward us, it strengthens us. And so meditate on that and be strengthened. Here we see Paul communicate this. Where's my reference going? This is Second Corinthians, I believe it's chapter twelve. Forgive me. Reference should have been on there. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul was dealing with an issue, an issue that was a besetting, ongoing, plaguing issue, an issue he couldn't shake. And he went before the Lord and he was like, Lord, please relieve me of this issue. And this is what the Lord said. You know what? My grace is enough. Grace is enough. The... <laughs> See what I'm saying, Tim, Jedi. My grace is sufficient for you. And what is grace synonymous with in this text? Power. Power. God's grace is power. And one of the reasons it's important for us to appreciate this when we're suffering is because so often... When we're suffering, we think that God's mad at us. So often when we're suffering, we think that, surely, you know what, I flopped, I failed God, he don't like me. I've done something wrong. I, I can't be in his good books. That's why I'm going through this. And we can get to the point where we feel like, God doesn't love me, surely. Otherwise, I wouldn't be suffering like this. Listen, the temptation when suffering to think that God doesn't love us, so that it means to be strengthened by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to suggest and to make clear that as people who have received his grace, even though it may not feel like it, we are favored by God. The ability to endure suffering testifies to the favor, the grace of God. And even though we may not feel like God really loves us, maybe we don't feel pampered and cozied and bubble bathed. Even in our ability to endure, it testifies of God's favor because our ability to endure comes from God's favor. Amen? And so... We endure. And yet, there's the necessity not just to endure, but while we're enduring, not to become self-centered, introspective, insular, isolated individuals. Because that's the temptation. We get on that pity party, woe is me. Oh, man, if you knew how hard my life was. If you knew how tough things were, you know. You'd understand why I don't return your calls, and I don't send you any texts, and I don't come out to fellowship, and you only see me once every six weeks at church. You'd understand because I'm having a hard life, you know, man. (laughs) And some of us get in that zone, we get in that place where we just cave in on ourselves. And yet, Paul says to Timothy, furthermore, don't just endure, but while you're enduring, Look to entrust this gospel to others. Look to entrust it. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust. To put into the care of another with careful instruction. To, to put into the care of another. It's kind of like someone saying, look, you know what? If anything happens to me, I want you to take care of my little one. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entrust them into your care. And this is what they're like. You know what? Well, when they go to bed, they like to have the light on in the hallway because it helps them to, to get to sleep more easily. And um, this is how they, you know, they light their food in the morning. Um, they don't like bacon, don't give them any bacon, but you can pile them up with Cheerios because they love Cheerios. And so there's a a, a wealth of instruction that comes with the entrusting so as to enable the individual to be able to do it faithfully and do it well. And so where Paul here is saying to Timothy, entrust. It's not just, cool, yeah, you heard about Jesus, fam. Yeah, you know he died for your sin. Cool, yeah, run with that. And that's it, it's over. No. All of us, as believers, as a kingdom of priests, as, as all being ministers of reconciliation, have a responsibility to seek to entrust the gospel to others. And our desire ought to be to be influential in helping to equip and establish faithful people. Here in the text, we see that reliability comes before ability. Reliability comes before ability. So, entrust to faithful men, reliable, who will be able to teach. And so, if you don't feel like you're able, that's all good. Don't worry about that. God's primary thing that he looks for is availability, not ability. And in that availability, he wants to see faithfulness in us. He wants to see a reliability in our lives. And the reality is that we are blessed here in seeing increasing dimensions and increasing levels of faithfulness. As leaders, we're encouraged, and it feels like a real rich season that we're in, because we're seeing people take on responsibility and be faithful, and we're learning how to do the entrusting better, and give the instructions better, and walk with the person, and support a person, and as we are coming together in this way, we're seeing the Lord work among us in new ways for the sake of the kingdom, amen? Amen some of you don't sound like you're sure after you are on teams come on man back it for your team at least didn't it? so the one who would be reliable must be one who is receptive receptive you ever tried to give something to someone who don't really care about it and you le- you walk away thinking you know what, I think I better send them a text you know and just remind them that I left it on the table there and I bet, maybe I know, I bet a couple, I'm going to call them and just make sure that they didn't, because at the time when we were passing it on, they didn't seem receptive. May we not be found a people who are unreceptive to the gospel? May we not be found unreceptive to the responsibility of the gospel? We will never be reliable. So we must be receptive. We must be someone who's able to be trusted trustworthy. I'm going to entrust something to you that's precious and valuable. You know, we have weddings and I was talking to one couple, I said, okay, so how's it going to work? Rings up the aisle, you're going to have like a page boy, rings on the, on the pillow and um, they was like, yeah, I was like, yeah? Rings on the pillow, yeah? Page boy, yeah? Rings are going to make it and they was like, yeah, it's cool because they're not the real rings. <laughs> <laughs> So they know that they can only trust the page boy with so much. So they don't put nothing overly precious. They ain't putting the real deal. They leave that with the big man, the best man. So he could take that out of his pocket. He's more responsible, more trustworthy. Some of us are page boys in the faith. Sorry to say. Can't be trusted with the gospel. can We're not interested when we get it, we don't care about it. You know, these page boys that are walking along and they're looking over the aisles and they're waving and not paying attention to the task in hand. Let's mature if we're in that place and be that best man that can be trusted. And the trust is not just, the, the, the trust is trusting that that individual is going to maintain the consistency and substance of the gospel and themselves. Paul says to Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. The gospel isn't just that which we preach. It is that which we live as well. And our lives are such that it must be inconsistent. It must be consistent with that which we've been entrusted Otherwise it becomes a confusing contradiction and it devalues that which has been given to us. Some people know the Bible. Some people know theology, know doctrine, quote scripture. But that kind of reliability that says they know how to walk straight when there's no other Christians around. That kind of reliability, that kind of trustworthiness that says they're going to be the same person in person as they are on their Facebook page. Uh-oh. All right, let's keep it moving. Reliability is something that requires time and testing. Time and testing. You might think you're reliable. All of a sudden, you're having a reliable season, a hot flush. You're on a roll. Let's give it a little time, in it and allow the Lord to marinate that work. So that you can be proven. This is why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, don't commit to a novice. They might show great potential. They might show great skill and dexterity with the word. Great understanding, great people, great people person. Just call. Let them be proven by time and the testing of circumstance the ability to teach in this sense we see that it is not merely somebody who can talk a good game it's not primarily that when Paul says the ability to teach but what he's saying is somebody who is teachable because when a person is teachable we know they can be taught The person is to be trained and carefully instructed in how to instruct. And we see Paul communicate this to Titus in Titus 1.9. Speaking of the overseer, it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction. You notice. So he's been taught. He must hold firm to that which he's been taught. In order that he may be able to Teach. And so that's how the ability to teach is developed and proven. And all of us have that capacity to some extent or another. You're, you might not feel that your place and your calling is to stand up before congregations. Huh? Well, you still have a very important and vital role. In regards to teaching others, it might be children, it might be friends, it might be colleagues over lunch. And so all of us should seek and aspire to that. Paul goes on to say share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share. Some translations say, endure suffering. Not a Some people think of the army as being a good career move. They like the idea of wearing a nice uniform, being able to travel the world, even maybe get to join a band. They have army bands, right? <laughs> Forgetting that they could get posted to Afghanistan and face Bullets that are not blanks and have to be on 22-hour tours of duty and eat rations, dusty rations from a dirty rucksack. That's the reality of army life. And so we endure suffering as a good soldier. And we do so with this in mind as it helps us to endure suffering. God has a purpose in our suffering. And his purpose in our suffering is for our growth. You see, God working out his purpose in us is causing us to become more like Christ. Christ suffered. What kind of Christian would we be? What kind of Christ-like one would we be if we didn't suffer? Would we be Christ-like if Christ suffered and we didn't? So we grow through suffering, something that we're to embrace. I heard this saying once, and it made a lot of sense, and it's lived with me ever since. God is more committed to producing character than providing comfort. You can tweet that at me, Pastor Ephraim. God is more committed to producing character than providing comfort. So then, rather rather than crying, Lord, our oh Lord, I'm suffering. Our oh Lord, please just allow me, man. Please, Lord. You know what? I'm leaving. Can't take this anymore. We should say, thank you, Lord, for this suffering. I'm learning. I'm growing. So many of us, we try and fix the situation when the Lord's trying to use it to fix us. And in terms of sharing in suffering, and not just in terms of sharing in suffering, but also in terms of the Apostle Paul identifying the qualities and characteristics of one who is to be entrusted to, he gives three illustrations. He gives the illustration of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldier. Soldiers in the army of the Lord. It reminds me of an old song. My gran always used to sing as she was sewing. Trust and obey. For there is no other way, other, you know, to be happy in Jesus than to trust, trust and obey. simple thing soldiers they don't question commands if they question commands they get bruised up by the sergeant major they don't officers giving commands don't have to explain themselves they know what they're doing even if we don't think they do and yet a soldier is to Follow orders. And the soldier who is found to be AWOL, not even MIA, you know, not even missing in action, but absent without leave, supposed to be on duty. Hold on a second. Where's Private Ephraim? I'm sure he's supposed to be on guard duty. Send out the the patrol to bring him in, absconding, absent without leave. And for so many of us as Christians, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in that place where we're absent without leave, entangled in civilian life. Looking for Ephraim. Ephraim's down Nando's. (laughs) Tired of army rations. I'll just pop out quick. Nobody will miss me. And some of us like to try to take holidays from our Christian life like that. Literally, sometimes. Here are certain people, I'm going on holiday, and I'm taking a break from my Christianity, and when I come back, we'll pick it up where I left off. (laughs) Now, understand this. A soldier who is one who is in a fight, and a soldier fights... One who is an enemy. And we know we have an enemy, an adversary who is Satan, the devil, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. We can't afford to be caught slipping, as Mandem would say. We can't be afford to be caught straying from where we ought to be. You see, in the Old Testament, we see the children of Israel, and they were they'd come out of Egypt come through the Red Sea, and the Lord was leading them to that land that he would have for them. And as he was leading them, it says that they were led by God, by a cloud, a pillar of cloud during the day, and a a pillar of fire at night. And the scripture goes on to tell us that when people strayed from the camp, and, you know, they might have been stragglers at the end, or they might have got curious and wandered off, thinking, it's hot out here, that looks like water. It's an oasis, you know. It says that they got stung and bitten by serpents. And there's an example for us to learn from. We need to stay on duty, stay focused, and stay following orders. If the devil can't destroy the purpose of God in your life, because he can't destroy you. The Lord keeps us. But if you can't destroy the purpose of God in your life, he will try and kill it with discouragement. And if he can't kill it with discouragement, he will try and rob you of it by distraction. Let me share a, a, an old letter that um, I found called, Are You Too Busy? And it's just a fictional picture of a situation that actually could be very intriguing if it were true. Who's to say it's not? Are you too busy? Satan called a worldwide convention in his opening address to his evil angels. He said, we can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship experience in Christ. Once they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to their churches. Let them have their conservative lifestyles but steal their time. So they can't gain that relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, my angels. Fallen angels, obviously. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? shouted his angels. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. He answered, tempt them to spend, spend, spend and borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six to seven days each week, 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear that still small voice. Entice them to play the radio or the iPod whenever they drive. Keep the TV on constantly. Absorb them with DVDs or Blu ray, game consoles, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube while at home and on the move. See to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays ungodly music constantly. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Fill the coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail. Mail order catalogue. Sexual temptation. Flood them with gambling offers. Promotional offers of free products, services and false hopes. keep unrealistically thin, beautiful models on the magazines so their husbands will believe that external beauty is what's important. And they'll become dissatisfied with their wives. They will fragment those families quickly. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. Just keep them busy. Busy, busy, busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, hmm, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Go ahead, let them be involved in so winning. But crowd their lives with so many good causes, they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon, they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. It will work, it will work, cried the angels, having a great convention the evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get more busy and more rushed, going here and there. And so, I guess the question remains, has the devil been successful at his scheme? You might be able to answer that, as it comes to your life. But consider this. Being busy isn't always being blessed. Very often being busy can literally be being under Satan's yoke. So may we be good soldiers. And not entangled in civilian affairs. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Nobody likes a cheat. Nobody likes, nobody wants to be a cheat unless they want what they want so much that they don't care how they get it. But an athlete is not rewarded. An athlete doesn't get the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Ben Johnson can testify to that. Lance Armstrong, the superpower cyclist who was stripped of all these yellow Tour de France jerseys, will tell you about that. You see, in the days of Paul, the athletes not only had to win the game but they had to train according to the rules. Nobody wants to hear that the, the amazing one, two, three of the Jamaican team was because of drugs. Nobody wants to hear that. So, okay, they cleared drugs tests at the time, but some random drugs tests from months before showed that they were using performance-enhancing drugs during training, giving them the unfair developmental advantage. Nobody wants to hear that. I don't. Because Usain Bolt comes from my parish in Jamaica, Trelawney. <laughs> and so, Paul saying to Timothy, don't try and cheat at life. Yes, the athlete is in a fight, just like the soldier. But the athlete fights with himself. But the reward isn't just gained on game day, but also from the preparation. The hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So be a good soldier, not a coward. Be a faithful athlete, not a cheat. Be a hardworking farmer. Don't be careless, don't be lazy and lazadaisical. How do you even spell that word? My dad used to say that to me all the time, you know. Don't be I'm like, is that even English, dad? I swear you made that up. Don't be lazy, careless. Ah, oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, no. Farmer is someone who is committed. He fights against the elements. Regardless, rain or shine, he has to be consistent has to be faithful, has to get the job done. Because if he don't work, he don't eat. If he's not consistent, there's no fruit. Farmers produce produce. Fruit, they're productive. Paul's saying, look, you want to be productive, Timothy? Be Be like the farmer, in season and out of season. You stay on it. If you're looking for someone to entrust to, these are the kind of qualities and characteristics you need to be nurturing. <clears throat> think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is one of those moments like you get in the Psalms where it says, Sella. And some of your translations, you see it in brackets, it says, Pause, calmly think about that. Sella, pause, calmly think about that. Now, you lot don't know them songs, there. take a pause, meditate on these life illustrations because they communicate substance to us as to how we might run to win, how we might fight to win, how we might farm to win. All three of them have something in common. Selfless discipline. Selfless discipline. And so, not only are we to endure and are we to entrust, but we're to be greatly encouraged. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Those examples seem like a lot of work, right? They seem hard. Look, remember Jesus Christ. Pastor Rob said something last week that made me think. Our meditation is truly our motivation. That which we meditate on will become that which motivates us. Why is it that we need to remember? We need to be instructed to remember why Timothy needs to be instructed? Because our souls are prone to wander, to wander off. Always being tempted to look for things, to other things, for answers. And yet we're to remember in an active sense. You know, like when you set a reminder on your phone or you put post-it notes on your mirror so you don't forget. That kind of active remembrance. It's not just, oh, when it comes to mind, then, you know, just think on Jesus. We're to actively remember. And how do we actively remember? We stay in communication. We meet with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We learn of Jesus from his word. Consistently, are you remembering Christ or is Sunday your time? When you get your reminder. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And then he goes on now to give a series of contrasts that should encourage our heart. He gives a series of contrasts, contrasting trouble with triumph. Trouble with triumph. So, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David as preached in my gospel. This is so packed, we're going to have to unpack it in community group. All I can do is tell you First Chronicles 17. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. This is God speaking to David one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever." So that's the, that's the backdrop. When Paul talks about the offspring of David, it is the offspring, the promised offspring that God said would be a son of David, a descendant of David, but would be his own son. And so this verse is packed with like quadruple meaning. Now, in case you, didn't, you weren't already aware, I like rap. I've liked rap for years. That's my preferred style of musical taste. And within that, my supreme preference and diet is Christian rap. For some of you, you're like, is there such a thing as Christian rap? (laughs) And I've been so encouraged to see the way that guys use their gifts and their talents. And just, in my mind, even outstripping the worldly, braggadocious, self-inflated rappers who call themselves lyricists falsely there's guys that are giving you one line with like three meanings in it. I'm like, I, I remember when it was big just to have a simile. <laughs> oh, so the church is like a hospital. You need to get some patience. Now, what does that mean? X amount of meanings, Right. It's a hospital. You go to the hospital. You're gonna sit down and you're gonna wait a long time to be seen. A and E, Kings. You know what it's like. <laughs> what are you saying, Lou? <laughs> I'm not hating, by the way. I was there the other day, not for myself. <laughs> but we know the hospitals. You need to have patience in hospital. But at the same time, we're told to call to go out and get the sick and bring them into the hospital. So you kind of see a double. This verse has got like quadruple meaning in there. We see suffering. So Christ died. We see even in the name reversal in which Paul uses the name, it's Jesus Christ, whereas he normally refers to Jesus as Christ Jesus. Reflected on his humanity, the suffering saviour, he who is the son of man and yet the son of God, he who was crushed and yet the soon coming eternal king. When we sit down and remember Christ, basically it just means that we're going to sit down and be remembering for a long time. We're going to be meditating and feeding and chewing on he who is Jesus. Don't take that lightly. Remember Jesus Christ. He suffered. We suffer. He is risen. He is triumphant. He is the eternal king. And Paul says, listen... This gospel of Jesus Christ for which I am suffering. So Jesus suffered. You can relate to that, Timothy. And me also, I'm suffering. Relate to that as well. And yet, although I'm bound with chains as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. Triumphant. You see the contrast. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I don't just suffer for myself. I suffer for those who are to be saved, who God's working in their lives, who God has chosen. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, triumphant. And then he just finishes it with lyrics. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. Now, this is literally lyrics. Paul was a little bit of a songwriter. He's coming with bars here. This might have been melody. We don't know. But the structure is rhythmically lyrical. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Notice it says died, have, past tense. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have been crucified with Christ, if truly we're believers. Amen? So, we died with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. You see the contrast? Enjoy, you know, it's hard, but we're going to reign with him. But hear the warning if we deny him, he will also deny us. And there are those who come to church and hear about Jesus. And there are those who, you know, even have a Bible at home, know about Jesus, but ultimately deny Jesus. Sometimes not in our words, but in our works. Sometimes not in the things that we say, but in the things that we do. We clearly deny Jesus. He's not Lord of our lives. And Jesus made it clear. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's not enough to look to Jesus as our Savior. Jesus is both Lord and and savior or he's none at all. And so we're to submit to him. And this is the essence of the gospel. The gospel in that Christ died for sinners so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so the the challenge is not to deny him As Lord over our lives. If we are faithless. He remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Even if we're faithless. You know what? Even if we flop. Even if we don't get the job done. The job's going to get done you know. Because God is faithful. And he cannot deny himself. God has a purpose for our pain. Shall we stand? God has a purpose for our pain. And so may we be encouraged as we pray that the Lord by his grace would grant us a selfless, disciplined, gospel concern for others. And ultimately, for the glory of God. We trust that God is faithful to answer prayer. You see, we're to be that soldier. That soldier who would say, "Hmm, I'm not going to be a coward, but courageous. Courageous were to be that individual who say, Lord, by your grace I won't cheat, cut corners, but be consistent like an athlete. Hmm. Lord, I don't want to be careless, but I want to be a grafter like a farmer. Because ultimately, in the end, the outcome will be all glory to God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the strength that you provide through Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold, to embrace that which is our portion. Although it may involve suffering, we appreciate that, Lord, you are working it together for good. And that, Lord, through it, you would cause us to be one who is victorious, bringing pleasure to your name. By it, Lord, we appreciate that you lay up in heaven a great prize for us, like that faithful athlete, that prize of your good pleasure. Through the means of suffering and enduring the crucible of refinement, Lord, you cause us to be a people who will be productive and fruitful for your kingdom's sake. Help us, Lord, to endure Stir us and teach us, Lord, how to entrust and to be trustworthy, entrustable, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be greatly encouraged that no matter how bad things seem, how dark things get, Lord, no matter how troublesome and tragic, we are triumphant in Christ Jesus. We bless your name. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit rest, remain and abide with all of us now and forevermore.
1: To find out more about us, visit our website